Oops. See, this is what I told you. If Fox gets excited, I have to become an authority figure, and I'm not. Fox. Fox. Foxy. There we go. Good stuff. This week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll in West London's leafy barns with fabulous comic Ivo Graham, and he brought along his friend's beautiful Irish terrier, Fox, who he's a sort of canine godparent to. Now, Raymond can be a little bit wimpy around some dogs, but he was very drawn to Fox, as she had immaculate manners and fuck it loads of charm, not unlike Ivo. We had a fabulous chat. We talked about Ivo's origin story at Eton and then Oxford, which he's incredibly honest and funny about. We chatted about his decision to be a stand-up, getting signed while he was still a student, and having his daughter relatively young. We also talked about the Graham family dog, and yes, of course it was a Labrador. Ivo is an absolutely lovely person to take a stroll with. He's very self-effacing and unassuming and hilarious, and he's also so well-mannered. It was only at the end of the walk I realised he'd been too polite to ask if we could find a waste bin, so he was carrying poo around the entire time. Now that's my kind of guest. I really hope you enjoy my walk with Ivo and Fox. Ivo's currently on tour with Game of Life, so do check out his comedy in person. It's absolutely brilliant. You can find out more at ivograham.com or on Twitter at ivograham. I'm going to stop talking now and hand over to the man himself. Here's Ivo and Fox and Raymond. Getting on famously. Well, Ivo, I'm following you. Okay. Well, le- um, let's go this way. Look. It's a delightful sight. Do you want to explain what the site is? Uh, the site is um, your hairy beast <laughs> of a dog, Raymond, um, interacting very wholesomely and respectfully uh, with an Irish terrier called Fox. They've actually now gone in different directions, but that's fine, as long as there's no animosity. Raymond! Raymond! Oh, surely not a poo 30 seconds into the pod. Sorry, Ivo. Oh, no, that's absolutely fine. It was a long good drive. For, good for me to prove my... Uh, <laughs> this is great. This is great. I think not to edit your podcast for you, but surely not a poo 30 seconds into the podcast is your... That's your in, isn't it? <laughs> also, so Fox is an, a lovely Irish terrier who belongs to my friends Julian and Rose, who are very dear friends who have been very good to me in the last couple of years, and I've spent a lot of that time living with them and living with Fox. <laughs> Hence the, ca- the sort of um, camaraderie and trust. Um, and um, obviously when you said, would you like to do the podcast, I thought, well, I've got to have a dog. <laughs> and uh, Julian and Rose have got two young uh, children. So having someone to come and take the dog for a walk um, is always, I think, a sort of nice small favour. And the addition of the glamour of it being for a podcast. <laughs> well, everyone's very excited. But oh, Rose so has um, rather sort of aggressively economically um, given me rather than the full roll of poo bags, just the one. So to see that <laughs> used up less than a minute into the walk, can't help but sl- on, on what you'd have to say felt only like a sort of starter poo. Well, have you, have you got poo bags, Emily? 
I, I, have I got poo bags? Uh, okay, well, there we go. No, That's totally. a panel show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I love, this is Fox, and your sort of, your role I'm seeing as Fox is, it's sort of godparent, really, isn't it's it? It's a godparent. Well, I've, I'm, I'm godfather God to, um, uh, to Julian and Rose's uh, younger daughter, which is a great honour. I'd, I'd have to say, I know this is a very dog-oriented podcast, but it being, being God, godfather to a human is, is if almost even better. Um, but it was really a, a sort of almost squatter's rights godparentship <laughs> because I just lived there through so much of the pregnancy um, that uh, I think it would be very awkward um, uh, if they'd... Uh, if they'd passed, passed me over. <laughs> but Fox likewise. I mean, I did feel a bit nervous because I, I don't feel confident in my authority over any creature, man or beast. And um, the thought that you turn up in your very relaxed fashion for this lovely relaxed pod, and then I would, you know, something would go wrong with Fox and I'd be unable to control her or she'd have some minor tiff with, with Raymond. You know what? But no, it's all been fine, isn't it? They seem to get on really well. I can see that... I think since we said that they were getting on really well, they've shown no interest in each other. They're, they're now, we're now out on the, on the common and they're going about their business. But that's fine. But that's, that's friendship for Raymond. He doesn't like people getting up, all up in his grill. Yep. Though Fox is very good for that as well. Fox is just happy to be off the lead um, and uh, just out and about on a nice, crisp November morning. And we should say what kind of dog Fox is. She's an Irish terrier. Um, sorry, very aggressively answered there, just because, <laughs> again, I feel like if I, don't, if, I'll, I'll, if I don't say it, I'll forget it. I'll reveal myself to be so ignorant. You're like someone on 24 hours in police custody who's remembered their story. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly the vibe. Um, keep, keep the truths immediate and keep the lies simple and manageable. Don't <laughs> tangle yourself in a web. Fox is an Irish terrier. She's about three years old. Um, I've uh, lived with her for much of her life, hence the rapport. Um, but equally, if we were in a more stressful situation, like she'd seen uh, a very thrilling dog or um, other How creature, dare you? I'd. Um, <laughs> well, no, no, no. Sorry, that is terrible. But what you mean is, what I mean is a less sort of docile. I mean, Raymond is just just sat now. But yeah, what I'm saying is, if Fox went off to chase something, and, and as well she may, uh, it would then be quite quickly revealed how little. Um, authority I had and actually when I picked her up from Rose uh, she was she was barking a bit when I came to the door and I said well I hope we don't have too much of that barking on the podcast and Rose said oh you want a bit of barking don't you to, to prove that she's there Rose is absolutely right well I mean I suppose it's good it's good texture isn't it on a walking the dog podcast <laughs> but equally I don't think people are going to think that I've you know created this uh, <laughs> weird loose godfatherly relationship with an Irish terrier um, come on Raymond come on come on do you want me to carry you like a silly boy do you want to be carried like a silly boy Raymond very shaming sometimes shame is an effective technique often often written off Ivo, I need to introduce the podcast. Yes, sorry. So sorry, this sorry. is Walking the Dog. I'm Emily <laughs> Dean and I'm here with the very wonderful Ivo Graham and we're with Fox. We're with Fox. Who we've already established is, is... Not my dog, but a dog that I have um, a certain degree of uh, sort of part-time ownership of. And I'm so thrilled you agreed to do this, Ivo, because I, 
I really love your stand-up. Oh, that's nice of you to second me, thank you. I remember spotting you. It probably was on a live at the Apollo or something like that. Mm. And I just thought you were hilarious, and I and I still do. That hasn't changed. Oh, that's good. It'd be a shame <laughs> if that you'd, you'd have to <laughs> retract that in recent years. <laughs> so we've got lovely Fox, your your sort of um, my goddaughter. Let's go with my goddaughter. Goddaughter. <laughs> Why not? I, I'm quite. Uh, I'm I'm growing into that actually. Canine so goddaughter. My canine goddaughter. Um, what was your relationship with dogs growing up? Were the Grahams dog people? We were dog people, and are. Um, but I was always accused by my brother, and it's sort of become a, a joke now, even though it's, um, it's quite sad, that I didn't love our family dog as much as he did. Um, we, had a, uh, um, bo- we, had a, we had a border terrier when we were very young, who sadly didn't, uh, didn't have a terrific innings. Um, oh. And then we had a Labrador, Bertie, for until last year um, and he's actually he's got a, a nice little plaque on the wall in my parents garden which went up uh, just last week um, Bertie 2006 to 2020 um, so we can go this way I'd say well let's go this way okay um, and what kind of Labrador was Bertie oh golden because he wasn't a golden retriever but he was a he was a golden lab Golden Retrievers? No, no, he's not a Golden Retriever. Ow. They're much more sort of, um, they've got much more beachy waves, oh, their hair. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the uh, lab well, has the close crop. The close crop. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, I'm be emailing you this afternoon <laughs> saying, can we take out the bit where I don't know what breed the dog that my family had for 14 years was? Um, and only underlining my brother's point, my brother would be leaping in here to give you Bertie's full medical records. Um, but yeah, it's partly because um, I think my my brother is uh, the um, he's he's the he's he's the biggest dog whisperer in the family, um, and he loved Bertie. And also, he was maybe the youngest when we got him, and I was already at boarding school. There's very little in my life I can't blame on having gone to boarding school, and one of them was my failure to bond with Bertie in the late uh, noughties. Um <laughs> because I was off uh, repressing all sorts of emotions at Eton, and uh, whereas uh, my brother Ludo. <laughs> Um, who wouldn't go to boarding school until I think 2009, had some just very, very wholesome early years with Bertie. And then I'd come back as a teenager, a, a, a really bleak um, uh, thing that I remember about my relationship with Bertie is that I, I, there was a couple of long summer holidays at school where I would just play the football-based video game FIFA obsessively and... It was my sad, friendless time to myself, but I'd always been invested in some project, like a long career mode. And Bertie would sort of sit at my feet and with this sad judgment in his eyes, this impatience to go and do some sort of activity. And I'd just be thinking, I, we will go for a walk, but just I've got, to, <laughs> got to get to the January transfer window. And I don't like having this dog pressure put on me. And I'm imagining... Mr. Graham, yes, Pops Graham, sort of wandering around like Lord Grantham. Now, who's sorry? Is Mr. Graham my dad? Yes. Right. No, he's not wandering around like Lord <laughs> Grantham. You know, he's, uh, he, he brings a uh, slightly chaotic energy at times, and um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's lordly. <laughs> he loved Bertie, and again, the other thing that w- he would um, 
moved to, particularly as Bertie got a bit older, my dad just loved throwing things into the field for Bertie to go and chase. Um, and we'd actually be told that you, sh uh, you know, you shouldn't do that too much because he's, you know, his, his legs aren't what they were and it kept very, you know, um, he obviously loves to chase things so he's never going to decide not to do it but uh, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be stiff for the rest of the day. But we were, we were quite short-termist dog owners to be like, well, let's just give him the fun now. And, uh, and whereabouts is this, Ivo? Where did you grow this up? This is in uh, Wiltshire, um, where, uh, where I spent much of my childhood, uh, or at least sort of school holidays. And we moved around a little bit, and uh, my family lived in Switzerland for a few years when I was a uh, sort of early teen. So Bertie got a lovely bit of Swiss, um, I don't know, go as stereotypical as you want, lovely Swiss meadow. Or, Did you or, or take the, dogs with, the dog with you then? Because that's quite complicated, it isn't is it? It is quite complicated. I'm now sort of remembering, particularly now as a, as a sort of parent and, and uh, God... Oh, wait, 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 careful. Oh, sorry. No. So sorry. He got in the way of a cyclist who was very polite and kind. Yeah, well, no, it was a, this is a, a very quiet road, and yet all it took <laughs> was one cyclist to immediately distressed the Raymond situation. Look he's at his little feet. tottering beautifully. He looks like he's wearing Le Boutins when his feet are wet. <laughs> so it was complicated. So Bertie moved around. Bertie was getting chucked. We were all getting chucked around, you know. Um, and why was that? Well, because my dad's job um, took him all, all over the place. And, and the philosophy was that it was, that was fun for the family. Um, and it was. But it did mean that we, we, uh, we did move quite a lot. And Bertie would sometimes be in the back of the car from a, for a long drive from like Wiltshire to Switzerland, um, which is you know quite punchy, um, with some lovely stops in France. Uh, but as I say, I, as someone who's now I think I would say struggling with quite a lot of the still quite manageable admin of my own adult life, I don't really know how how, how they did that to be honest, and how and, and indeed um, sort of why. But Bertie had a great, um, he had a great 14 years um, and now there's a bit of discussion about whether there might be another dog at some point. Um, you know, now my, my parents are uh, approaching sort of full mutual retirement in the, in the lovely Wiltshire countryside. Um, and you know, would, would we get another Labrador? Um, to uh, to really just sort of replicate Bertie or whether a different sort of vibe actually through living with Fox I've I've started to say well Irish Terriers are very nice yeah but I don't know again I, I'll let my brother be the main advisor because ultimately he's he's the one when we get home who'll he'll smother the dog with the most affection and he'll he'll, <laughs> he'll suggest that I don't care enough and that will become this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where I become this sort of cold dog snob <laughs> um, so, and with the moving around location-wise when you were younger... But you were, you were quite itinerant as well, weren't you, as a family? Yes, because I think we have something in common, yes. you and I, yes. which is that we both spent um, time in Australia when we were younger. That what, that, yes, um, that was a, a big part of my... We did two stints. We did one, um, a couple of years in Sydney when I was about uh, two or three. Don't remember them very well. And then a couple of years when I was a sort of preteen, um, sort of 11, 12, also in Sydney. And I loved it. Where were you? We were in Sydney. We were in, um, on the North Shore, so we were in Neutral Bay. Do you know that? 
Um, not really, not well. We were in the eastern suburbs. Um, of course you were. Yes, I'm aware that even that is coming. <laughs> remember, like, as I started as a teenager to become, uh, you know, sort of anxiously aware of, like, just my, my, my privilege and to be like, ah, yes, it seems that Eton is not a normal school and actually I do have quite a lot of uh, uh, things to be grateful for and apologetic for. I would then be like, but at least I can look back on my time in Australia uh, as a sort of lovely, like, classless period um, where I just went to a day school without all that baggage. And then I'd say to people who knew Sydney, like, oh, we lived in Vaucluse. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're, you're posh twat. Like, what? No. Come on, Ray. What effect do you think it has on you moving around a lot as a kid, Ivo? I think it's... I mean, I think um, I think it's good, but I, I'm aware that you know I've been quite heavily programmed by this point um, <laughs> by uh, boarding school and other sort of just family philosophies to just think that everything's for the best, um, uh, however disruptive. But I do, I think it um, it made us quite adaptable, um, and you got quite good at starting over a bit. I mean, I I went to boarding school in England when I was eight or seven, my eighth birthday was my second day there. Classic birthday. Um, and uh, and by boarding school, you mean Eton, presumably? No, a boarding school in um, Oxford called Summerfields. A mm. nice little feeder for Eton. Mm. Um, uh, not everyone from Summerfields went straight on to Eton, but, but the expectation was that you probably could if you wanted to. Uh, so. Um, went there for three years, a bit homesick at first, and then got into a nice groove. Um, and then we went to Australia, and that was great because it was like, oh, I was living at home with my family. And uh, um, Vaucluse is very nice, of course. Uh, but, and then, and, and, you know, being a preteen in the city felt quite exciting and independent. And, um, and then when we went back to England, that I was like, oh, I was just getting into my groove. Um, I was possibly going to join a band and be in the inaugural Sydney Grammar Concert Grammarpalooza. <laughs> and because the football standards were much lower, I was in the A's and there was even talk of state. Um, back, to, back to England into the D's. So all of that was, um, I, I found boarding school a bit more of a sort of chore the second time and mm. certain friends from uh, Summerfield, uh, they, they'd suddenly moved on in the intervening three years. So we didn't quite pick up where we left off. Mm. Unlike Julian, who uh, Fox's owner, um, my uh, dear friend and recent housemate. He, um, he's been there for me at every stage of my life, whether it's uh, my first boarding school, my second boarding school, or lending me his dog for a podcast. <laughs> he's Mr. Reliable. Come on, Fox. Foxy. Oh no, and Raymond is now back in your arms. Does that, does that, would, if, it, if it was a better path, would you be able to put Raymond down? Is it my fault, that's what I'm saying, for, for bad route planning that you're having to carry, carry Raymond? You see, I think that's very interesting about you, mm. that you've assumed responsibility and guilt for that. But in quite an unproductive way. That's why I think that's <laughs> one of my least favourite things about myself, is I don't really convert any of my regret into um, sort of proactive uh, behaviour. I just... Um, just flub and flub. <laughs> Come on, Fox. Are you yeah. one of those people, Ivo, that think, <laughs> oh, what did I do wrong if there's a problem? 
Well, certainly could I have anticipated the problem a little bit? I mean, even you coming to meet me this morning uh, and you couldn't have given me more windows to choose for the podcast. And I was not always very good at replying to your messages because I'm chaotic. Um, and getting back, and the only hour you can't park outside Julian and Rose is between <laughs> 9.30 and 10.30. And that's exactly when I told you to come. And I just thought, God. I don't think you are chaotic. And I like people that aren't, I'm going to use the word regimented. Okay. No, I, Because no, I, I have ADHD, so. That's interesting. Whenever someone doesn't get back to me or is, I, all I feel is a tremendous sense of relief. Okay. Because I think, oh good, I'll, I like this person because I don't feel, I find people, I'm impressed by them, but you know those people that respond within two seconds and they're uber efficient and I find them quite intimidating. Yeah, I, I, I do a bit as well. I mean, I'm, I'm getting better on some of these fronts, but like I'm late um, more than I would like in oh. my life. And, and actually, more than other people would like to. I'm going to speak on behalf of them as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, um, it always feels like um, uh, when someone else is late, like that, that I could accrue any brownie points at all by uh, not being bothered that they're late. It, 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 it's just, it, it soothes me. And it's like, you know, some sense of a great debt being slightly paid off. <laughs> <laughs> If that makes sense. Um, and similarly with texts, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think this does excuse me not just replying a bit quicker to say that which day would be good to do the podcast. But because um, uh, I think particularly when it's admin and it, you're busy, um, this, that's, that's just basic. But sometimes with just keeping in touch with people, and I don't want to make like these, you know, such noble things like friendship sound like a, a, a burden because they're not. I'm a massive people pleaser and I'd be nothing without my circle of texts. Are you, are you a big people pleaser? I, I think I am a bit. Um, and I like to feel sort of plugged into, um, uh, you know, people and what's going on with them. But if, um, if someone sends you a text and you reply straight away, then they'll just reply straight away and then, then it will just, then you'll never not be on your phone. And I am always on my phone, but I'm, I've, I don't really, I, 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 I love the feeling of a, a ball being, even for, for a short while, in someone else's court. This is yeah. why I can't do like meditation and stuff. Are we going to cross over here? No, we're not. Well, this, it's a big road, but I think we could. Um, does that, does that, any of that make sense? Yes. Come on, Ray. So Ivo, mm. um, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Which is eaten. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, had, I had a few elephants in my mind there, um, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see which one you went for. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, eaten at least is. I, I feel I'm I'm relatively well practiced on my <laughs> my sort of history of eaten and what it what it did for me and to me. So you went to eaten when. You were how old? Uh, 13. So sort of fresh out of a hot, uh, you know, 28-month sabbatical in Australia. Came back with a bit of a tan and a hint of an Australian accent, which was obviously mercilessly set upon by my peers. Um, I mean, you must have um, uh, come up with a few theories about, uh, you know, schools like Eton in your time. You, I dare say, have... Uh, 
Um, I don't know. Met some, met some goodies and some baddies. Um, yes, I do. But I want to know what you think first. Right. So... I think that I had a good time, a lot of the time, and certainly good education, and it has provided the basis for what then were really lovely experiences in my life. Firstly, going to um, Sorry, the University of Oxford, um, the, the conveyor belt working its magic again. Um, that I and that I really loved, and I think even though I was though I wasn't in a load of sort of Bullingdon-esque clubs, I was still running around Oxford, enjoying, you know, a lot of the oldie worldy pomp of it. Um, and then, even doing stand-up, which is obviously um, a terrific way to waste an education, um, it's still based on. Now we've come to a quite a burnt bench, oh. um, which uh, is. A little distressing, literally, literally burnt. Can we sit down, or do you think it's weird sitting on no, the? No, I think bench? I think it'd be nice to sit on the burnt bench. So, um, tell me, yeah, we were talking about Eton. I mean, I'm very happy to talk about Eton as long as you. But please cut me off when I'm because I'm not being even on a topic which I claim to be well practiced on. It's amazing how uh, resolutely inarticulate I can be about it. Um, I had an all right time, um, but. Uh, there's also things about boarding school which are, I think, getting more and more outdated and um, I don't think I'd send my uh, children to boarding school, although obviously that's dependent on multiple factors mm. um, uh, to whether, as to whether one would even be able to do that. Uh, and single sex education maybe not, not great either. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like to think of myself as stunted for life, <laughs> but probably missed out on some good formative and possibly quite fun experiences on that front um, which is not to say our Saturday night socials with Wickham Abbey once a term weren't rewarding and of themselves um, but yeah I think I think um, what what, this, what the school represents is uh, is, is not great and I, I do think it's being um, pretty fantastically badly represented mm. at the moment by mm. um, those people in charge and, and the almost like parodic levels of um, entitlement and self-interest that are, I mean, in the new, I don't know, in the news at the very moment, it's just it's just uh, this 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 the, the sort of narrative behind all of this, all these scandals is well, why can't I do this? Because mm. there's there's never been any opposition to it, um, and I uh, and I think it's good if one doesn't emerge into the world at 18 or 21 with that sense of completely bulletproof entitlement. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because I suppose you asked me earlier what my experience of the school and, and older Tonians is. And I suppose I feel with boys I encountered that went to the big five. Like the big story. five. <laughs> I've never even thought about it as the big five, but you can be damn sure I'm working it out in my head now. So I would find beyond education in some ways, beyond that privilege, I always felt the most valuable thing they got was this confidence and charisma. And I think that charisma can be 
a really lovely thing and it can be a force for good but then if you go to the dark side yeah 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 it's it's all surface because i feel i you know i i i cling to this um idea that i had an almost like outsider status but or you know in the most sort of tiny violin minor way because maybe even just being disrupted a bit by moving across the world and you know just the fact that i was suddenly quite shy and mostly kept to myself myself to myself at school and didn't go to all these fantastic uh, sort of extra confidence boosting things in my holidays um, meant that I didn't develop that kind of fox is quite literally chasing her own tail. Um, <laughs> I love it when dogs do that. It's so sweet. I mean, Omen is just here by my feet, just so <laughs> soft. There we go. Fox's existence is finally confirmed for the pod. So anyway, carry on. So me just yabbering on about how I was a little bit shy at school, but then maybe that was a good thing because I worked hard and got my grades and got into uni and then maybe did start doing stand-up because I wanted to um, have a bit of a sort of identity. And so actually, what do you know? It's led me to where I am today. And am I happy? To an extent. Um, <laughs> that's, um, it's a slightly uh, garbled... But it gives, you, it gives you confidence, doesn't it, going to a school like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I think even if you're a self-styled insecure Etonian, you're probably a damn sight, you know, further along in the sort of general confidence sense. And even the school is just telling you you can, you can be anything. So yeah. I suppose, you know, even something as um, ludicrous as stand-up comedy, and people did find the idea of me doing it pretty ludicrous. Did they? Uh, yeah, lots of like, we never thought you, and I was like, I mean, fair enough, of course you didn't, because I didn't say a single funny thing at school. I was squirrelling it away, and occasionally pouring it into texts to like my three friends. Then at uni, I think I was like, okay, okay, new friends, new scene, new hobby, uh, if not now, then when? And then I, um, I was, uh, I was blissfully happy. I mean, I probably wasn't. I was still, you know, um, uh, very, uh, very spotty, very um, uh, romantically frustrated, but then also talking about romantic frustration in my stand-up so much that I think it became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy at uni, to be <laughs> honest, who were like, well, <laughs> he's friend-zoning himself with all this chat. Even the concept of, of the friend-zone, I'm aware, quite a toxic, you know, the idea that female friendship is just a, a stepping stone. A terrible consolation prize. I think I did, well that's what I did that on, um, and again, I'm not saying I've only learnt all the things I need to know about myself through YouTube comments, because A, that's pathetic, and B, you shouldn't read the comments, but, and I would arrive at lots of these conclusions myself through life and time and wisdom, but there was a bit in... Um, I Sorry, did. I wasn't saying stop it to Ivo. It was stop Ray. talking, Ivo. <laughs> I did a bit on, on the, the Apollo set about uh, being told that I would make a great boyfriend by people and how I found it frustrating because mm. it never actualised itself. And, um, and <laughs> it's quite a debate in the comments about, <laughs> about whether that's, you know, um, a sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, just how toxic that philosophy is. Yeah. And I do think there is this, like... It is an interesting conversation we had about like beta male misogyny or whatever, or that sort of like incels now, I suppose. Wait, I was an incel. <laughs> I was a, a sort of, uh, I was ahead of my time at uni. <laughs> Were you, um, I mean, obviously that's what 
comics do, isn't it? Is that they, they alchemise their pain. Pain. Yeah, I mean, well, alchemy is a lovely word. It does suggest there's gold at the end of it. And there isn't always. Sometimes you just <laughs> stir the pain around. And you make it look even more of a mess. I mean, I'm trying at the moment just to, just to make a quick sort of pop over to the, another, another elephant. Um, so my daughter's mum and I, we're not together. Um, hence my temporary residences in my various Putney friends' homes with their dogs and children. Um, and my sort of back and forthing of my own daughter with her mum. Uh, all of which has been very complicated by the lockdowns, I can tell you. Yeah. But I've tried to talk about that a bit on stage recently because um, it is a pretty, let's stick to the path, if, if not conversationally, then at least literally. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it's such an enormous part of what I'm thinking about and the uh, identity that I'm now trying to sort of rebuild. But it's very tricky because people are just like, what? You know, uh, um, I think to be uh, uh, like talking about even if things have you know broadly been done very amicably and for the best of reasons mm. like talking about essentially breaking up with a young child it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to rev up to in a stand-up set mm. so I wouldn't I wouldn't describe that as alchemy quite yet um, I um, Fox is now interacting with another dog it's a Bichon I think it's a Bichon, is it you a say? Shih Tzu. Okay, that's. Oh, now you say that what? dog's owner has lifted it up and taken it away. But they didn't just lift it up and take it away. He did it in a sort of. It was Algernon. We're leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you'd get pretty short odds on that dog being called Algernon. Fox. No, Fox. See, this is what I told you. Fox gets excited. I have to become an authority figure, and I'm not. Fox. Fox. Foxy. There we go. Good stuff. I feel that was probably less to do with me saying Fox with any degree of uh, firmness and more to do with Algernon's owner um, um, saying no thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm, re I'm really sorry you've gone through that because that's, that's all right, bloody difficult, well, isn't it's, it? Uh, it, it? It is and it is an, ev an evolving situation with I think a few more yeah. uh, emotional bumps ahead. But yeah. then um, I also think that when um, put in the context of things like war and grief mm. and loss it's all um you know th these this is just this is just relationships and, the, and you know the business of life and it is still something that's to a certain degree within your control and there is are fantastic things to come out of it I mean, my, my daughter is just heaven and she's two and a half and it's just Aww, the Ivor. best age to watch watch it all sort of coming together you had kids relatively young for a comic didn't you R yeah so this i think i mean yeah, maybe for a comic. I mean, obviously globally, they're popping them out um, at all sorts of ages. How old but are you? Yes, we comics do like to cling on um, <laughs> to that f sort of independence as long as possible, so we can do all those international festivals. Uh, I was 28, so not that. I mean, you know, about the, about the same age as my parents, and I, it's probably quite telling how much I view everything through that prism. Like I say, well, mum and dad did it, so I, I can do it. <laughs> Um, and um, but I had um, uh, we we had I mean not that obviously what one's peers are up to is or should be a major factor but um, I, most of my good friends in comedy are a few years older and mm -hmm. so there was a sense that the gang were getting on with it and it is lovely to do it mm. sort of while your friends are doing it um, but uh, it is a 
funny old um, series of challenges. Yeah. And I don't think it's, um, I, d- I don't think um, it has helped my uh, ability to, um, as we were discussing earlier, be completely at peace with myself or um, my decisions because mm. um, I do spend quite a lot of my time feeling like I'm in a, a sort of free fall. But then I get on stage. <laughs> yes, Fox, exactly. She's heard this bit of the story before. I get on stage <laughs> and I'm alive. And so tell me, when was the first time you did... <laughs> yeah, all right, Fox, this is a, we're back to the origin story. I'm about to start talking about the Comic Club in Oxford. Um, uh, first time I did... I mean, I'm anticipating first time you did stand-up. It could be a, a, a deeper, more personal question about my romantic history, 2012. But my first gig was in 2009, um, or late 2008. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, and how old were you? 18 years old. What could an 18-year-old possibly have to tell a small audience of his pampered peers at Oxford's Comma Club above what's now called the Turl Street Kitchen? Um, to which the answer is some pretty spectacularly airheaded riffs about the Vasty ski trip. Um, and I remember it went sort of for a first gig, it knocked disastrously. And we got an email from the compere, who was a London-based comic, who was so sweet, saying, um, you know, terrific... Um, uh, you know, just to see you doing comedy so young and come and do my London gig if, if you're in London uh, in the holidays. But, you know, probably shouldn't all be about the Varsity <laughs> Ski Trip. <laughs> like, yep, no, that's, that's fair, actually. Not to say the observations weren't bang Box. on. Fox. But that's quite brave, Ivo. I mean, you're no, talking about, oh, I did... it's attention-seeking. I, um, I, it's, you know, it, I, I do, I do think, um... Yeah, I do need to learn to take uh, compliments um, in life and uh, not beat myself up too much. But the bravery narrative, I mean, you've hung out with lots of standards. You're very close to all sorts. Do you think they're all very brave or is it actually just narcissism unleashed? (laughs) I think it's... I think the difference between... It's what separates stand-ups from... I think most people would have a bad gig and would talk about it for 40 years as the most (laughs) awful night of their lives it would become their story yeah it would define them yeah and they it would be like never again and there is a difference between and and frankly that is quite a normal response yeah it's true but then but then even stamps can build in their bad gigs i mean lots of stamps you know a lot of their stand-up is about other gigs they've done because that becomes your life um uh, and i actually think it's a bit of a faux pas actually to have too many gig stories as part of your set but yeah it's kind of it's sort of win-win really the 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 good gigs just boost your uh your confidence and lead to more stuff and the bad gigs you know give you this burning desire to right those wrongs and also this slightly vengeful sense you know particularly if 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 it wasn't your fault for some reason like a heckler disrupted your rhythm then uh you can just um talk about that at other gigs or you know I think obviously if the, if the ratio is terrible, if four out of five of your gigs are going badly, then you, you shouldn't be a stand-up and m- most uh, people would and do stop if that's the case. Um, but if it's the other way around, then, um, then, it's the, then it, a lot of people would say it's the bad ones that keep you on your toes. Mm. And of course there is a... Yeah, I don't know. I, d- I just don't. I don't think it's brave. I I have become almost uh, 
unnerved by how like dead-eyed and clinical I can be about gigs sometimes where it's like I'll be having dinner with some friends in central London I'll be like I've got to go and do this gig in about 15 minutes and they're like 15 minutes I'm like Mm. well yeah but I'm just not I'm going to think about it in about 12 minutes where I had dinner with you around the corner so that I can try and enjoy a bit of my Friday night up until the gig and not feel like I've just lost everything to the career um and then um but then do you think that's the difference between you know we were talking about Gary Lineker earlier. We were talking about Gary, a local, local lad. He's a local lad. He lit, this is, we're in Gary's manor. Mm. He's fascinating when he talks about taking penalty kicks. Most people, even comics, could not begin to imagine doing something. And he, I, and I, think, that's, I think that's very fair. That's because the hopes of a, of a nation or of a club rest upon you. But then his point, and that's what's so interesting, is he said that's what makes a footballer. Mm. is the difference between someone at at that level he said is that um i had a cool head yeah he said and you don't get anywhere he said that's all i had i wasn't as talented as gaza or i didn't have that but i had a cool head and that's more important and when you're talking about those gigs to me with comics that's sort of what you need oddly is a cool head Mm. yeah okay I'll take cool head. I'll take a sort of uh, a B-list cool head, not an A-list penalty shootout cool head or, you know, surgeon cool head. Um, but, uh, but yes, an ability to... Raymond. His hair's gone frizzy in the rain, Ivo. Um, so is, he an easy, is, is, is Raymond an easy dog to, um, to sort of look after? Is he quite content in his own company at home? Oh, he's, he's an absolute... He's a real gentleman, Raymond. Mm. Well, that's a lovely review. I think he's very, very sweet. But and I though I don't think he and Fox have, have ever quite hit the heights of their first meeting, they, you, <laughs> I think they've both, they've both broadly enjoyed this lovely... I think they've yeah. enjoyed it. I think... I think you have to sort of manage your expectations with dog friendships. Mm. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I think they're not really, they don't really say, oh my God, I like Pulp Fiction too. <laughs> Let's no, go back Proxy. this way. Um, so, and you were, you had something really unusual happen with your comedy career, I know, because... What? Well, you got signed when oh, you were at yeah. Oxford. <laughs> yes. I left, I had a uni- an agent by the time I left university, which was, um, again, a great uh, thing for the confidence and I think for the reassurance of um, quite a lot of parents and parents' friends who were like, but it's not, not going to be a career though. And my parents would get to say, well, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and in many ways they still don't, but he's got an agent. He's been to, I've been to Edinburgh three times by the time I left uni. Um, and was doing paid gigs in my holidays and stuff. So uh, it, it did give me the, the, the sense that I had like a, a base to work from. And this kind of smugness, I think, as well, when everyone was um, uh, scrabbling around at the end of uni for what to do. And I was just like, well, I'm going to move to London and do some gigs. Because that's not something normally that people who go to Eton do, is it? And, and yet, in some ways, it's just a... I wonder if it plays into the narrative of they think they can do anything, these people. Even a career as associated with, like, I don't know, a certain amount of 
underdog charm can just be appropriated by by the posh um you know i think you you read about that a lot with 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 sort of posh people in comedy and i think also think it's very uh relevant to what's happening maybe in the music industry where certain like it's getting getting harder and harder to survive as a as a, as, a, as a new band um, and increasingly like a lot of the ones breaking through are ones that are quite posh and all went to certain uh, certain schools mm. and I kind of think and even like I've gone back to Eton you know I, I've, I've, I've talked a lot you know about how what I do would bring great shame to my my parents and my school and stuff it gets a cheap laugh Emily but <laughs> actually my parents are very sweet and supportive they've put on gigs for me but yeah, so they're, they're, they've come to lots of gigs. They put on gigs of mine for like their friends locally. And I've gone back to the school, um, to, to Eton, to uh, once a couple of years ago to do like a, you know, people in their 20s and 30s come and talk about career things. And obviously, like, uh, because I think in their own way, even though I'm a bit, you know, not all of my stand-up is hugely dignified and I don't talk with always in very complimentary ways about the school because I think there's a lot that's wrong with it. It's still like, look at this chap ploughing his own furrow, you know, and like, so I'm not, I'm certainly not throwing it back in their face. I'm, I'm going back to school to quip about life as an old Etonian stand-up, potentially to inspire a new generation of even more hateful um, <laughs> Eton comics, although I hope there won't be because I, I don't really have many other sort of USPs. That's what you said. That's what your agent said. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the only US, it's the only USB you've got. I do think it's a it's an absurd differential to be able to cling to. Um, I think it's you know uh, that that your I, parents must be really proud of you though, Ivo. Do you think they are? I think they are. When um, you, do um, they tell you that? Yeah, they do actually. They're fantastic. I think I'd like you. Do you? Yeah, I think you would. I think, and I think he's. Uh, he enjoys his sort of proximity to the world as well. Like he's, you know, he'll come to Edinburgh most years with my mum. And then there was one year when my mum didn't come for some reason. He came on his own and we went out together, like to the sort of, I don't know, the abattoir bar or something. And he was, he was, he was, he was living it a bit, I think, and chatting to people. And, you know, various comic friends have done like gigs locally to us and stayed over. Um, and he sort of feels a, almost a slightly loosely paternalistic thing with Josh Widdicombe because Josh and I did an Edinburgh show together about 10 years ago and then Josh came and did a gig in my local pub um, the, the sort of following spring and then stayed and drunk port with my dad <laughs> like in my house my dad and his dressing gown and I think you know so dad can now flick on the telly at almost any point and see Josh a man he's drunk port with in a dressing gown and be like ah <laughs> oh, my world too and I, I read that you're um your mum, I, re- I was really sorry, Ivo, to hear that, because I know she has MS, doesn't she? She has MS, yeah. Is she, is she a wheelchair user now, then? Uh, she is, yeah. Um, uh, pretty, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's gone through that um, sad sort of thing with you have with secondary progressive MS, where it's uh, started affecting her mobility about a decade mm. and a half ago. Mm. Um, and at first it was, you know, walking with a stick sometimes, and it was a stick all the time, and a wheelchair sometimes, and now she's... She's permanently in a wheelchair, but all sorts of um, energy and, again, money has been thrown at uh, getting a lift put in my parents' house and getting this new exciting motorised wheelchair, which we're all um, sort of in some ways uh, rather excited about. Um, 
And again, I think through doing, I've done stuff with the MS Society and done a few fundraisers for them and um, got to know a few of the people who work there. And again, you find out a lot about just the sort of more general circumstances around living with the condition. And I think, again, you're always trying to glass half full it as, you know, some people have this a lot worse than my family, but it is, um, uh, it is, it is the biggest challenge that we, we sort of face, I think. Mm. Even the old sort of chaotic son with his broken home can't pull uh, MS off the front page, really. And in some ways, my parents have been they've sort of, I think it's been quite nice for them to be like parents again through Ivo's difficult time. I mean, I don't think we are the most stiff, upper-lipped family. Um, I think we've always been pretty, uh, you know, I think we've always been pretty generous with our emotions. Um, you know, my, but my, you know, my parents, for example, have never been short of declaring love and pride and all the other um, things you, 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 know, you need and crave as a child and that often uh, denied in these sorts of sort of Victorian stereotypes. But, you know, I think there's an inherent stiff upper lipness to just like the idea of boarding school in general. Mm. that something that uh, can be extremely painful is still necessarily for the best and you just get on with it. Um, And as I say, it's difficult to know how appropriate it is. Some people think it's completely sort of ludicrously inappropriate and some people think that um, it's the best thing you can do for your child. And I remember my parents, even at the time, I remember sort of sensing that they were somewhere in between that the mum found it incredibly hard. Mm. Mm. And when it comes to dealing with... um, you know, I don't know, like these sort of adult problems and obviously the way in which our family circumstances have changed a lot over the last, uh, you know, decade to do with my mum. We're all trying to engage with it more articulately. Mm. Um, uh, and my, um, like, therapy something I've started doing in the last couple of years to um, try and engage with all you know all sorts of things and I think we're broadly my, my sister is a big advocate of it and, and does it as well and we're sort of of the view that maybe we should all uh, do that sort of thing a bit more um, but I also think it's hard because you are also confronting a lot of the mechanisms that have sort of got you this far as it were if you've broadly um, enjoyed your life and had, a, and had a nice time and stuff has worked out this is a, I don't know, a bit of fear about um sort of retrospectively pulling it all apart i know that's not necessarily what therapy is but does that make sense yeah um yeah. i think um you know my so i one thing my, my my dad was always very good at and i think it was quite essential to the whole boarding school drop-offs was he would say things to look forward to like always think about things to look forward to and I thought it was re- really lovely and wholesome and something I've always carried with me into my mm. sort of adult life. But it's a form of getting on with it. Mm. But mm. I, uh, I, I'm, I would like to um, finally, by the way, I'm disposing with some dog waste, which I've carried. I've carried the Dijon mustard for about 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm benefiting from a little bit more self-interrogation. would like to do more but I also am not going to completely upend um, the way I was, my, my perspective on the way I was raised or educated because I think I got a lot of good from it. 
Raymond! Raymond! You're a bit like me, Ivo. Do you know that? Uh, I, well, I'd, I'd love to know in what way, but I'm, I find uh, uh, decisions uh, very hard. Um, I find regrets all-consuming. I find uh, uh, sort of nostalgia in the smallest of places and just fixate on it. And um, I think it's okay to find things overwhelming. I always do, and I just tell people. And yeah. So people I know, are really nice about it. People generally. are nice about it, but equally, they, um, you know, it's that thing of, they, they might not ask you back. People are very sensitive <laughs> to being, you know, people being overwhelmed at the moment, but you, if it's like, well, we we could invite Ivo, but if literally anything gets wrong, or if he's, if he's even reminded of something uh, that, he, that doesn't sit comfortably with him, he'll probably go into a black hole. So probably just easiest not to invite him. I trade on being um, pretty good, like, fun company. And in some ways, the mania of uh, some of the stresses of the last couple of years um, has channeled itself into almost more like aggressively fun company. I'm fun! Um, but I think the cracks also do show a little bit more sometimes. Yeah. Um, do you find work, because we should just say your career's been hugely successful. I feel like you sort of haven't stopped working really since you left Oxford. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, done a, I've certainly done a lot of gigs. I've racked up a lot of uh, rail miles. Um, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about stand-up as too hard work because you do have a lot of the day to sort of, you know, send up the spout. Uh, but, um, but yes, particularly when you're then doing a bit of writing or podcasting or if the gigs are far away, you're getting back very late. It does all, it does all add up to quite a big old job. So, Ivo, yeah. how do you deal with confrontation? Um, I avoid it, please. Uh, no, I mean, like, sometimes I, I don't think I'm a completely avoidant person. You know, I, 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 I do think that there is in value to embracing it for lots of reasons, one of which is one's own self-worth. Well, I remember one example, and I've only really got one example. I'd love to be able to think of a few more. But um, I remember we had a really awkward thing in our friendship group once because we were having a big party and there was a couple who'd broken up um, and basically the person it was a bit awkward because you know classic friend group thing of uh, who's going to come to the party and basically one of the couple needed to be told that they couldn't come to the party and it was legitimate because they knew the group less well and because they'd done the dumping and so they'd, they'd be able to absorb that as a small bit of collateral but everyone was being very awkward about it and I remember that I um, had the conversation quite proactively and I remember just kind of like one or two people being like wow fair play you actually told someone that they <laughs> couldn't come and uh, I was like yes I embraced a difficult situation and everyone felt better for it. I was more respected for it. I respected myself more for it. Um, and actually then they both got back together and both came to the party anyway. So it was for nothing. <laughs> but but do I don't do that a lot. I also, the other, in a sort of weird echo of this, uh, only a week or so ago, I was out with friends in London. We were a group of four and I'm afraid to say we were going to use uh, my debut use of my Soho House membership. Uh, which I got for free because I did an online gig for them during lockdown. And I was like, great, because we were struggling for a place to go. I was like, I can get three guests in. And then we bumped into a, group, a sort of another friend, a sort of group of friends outside the Soho. 
and I had to, and I decided, as we'd worked out where we were going to go as a bigger group, and then we decided we'd probably end up just going to the Soho House because the bigger group was unmanageable, I said to the fifth person, my friend Billy, I said, uh, Billy, though, if we do go to Soho House, I'm afraid it will only be able to be the four of us. <laughs> so sort of, you know, last in, first out sort of thing. And she was like, oh, no, I mean, I'm that's fine by me. I probably wasn't even going to come anyway. And people were like, you so weirdly proactively sort of executed your friend in public as, in an attempt to, be, to, to sort of be decisive, because I almost never am. But the fact that it didn't, does that make sense? But it didn't go... It was treated as such a weird and aggressive thing to do that I was like, well, that's me back under the shell for another five years. I, I am a passenger. I think I've been quite fortunate to not spend much of my life not having to come into contact with too much conflict. I think the main thing is because I'm self-employed um, and because as a stand-up, particularly if you're one in any sort of even mild demand, you're enabled all the time. You turn up late to some recording and people are some, you know, apologising you know, for you being late. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, I probably need to be taken to task a bit more. You see why people become such awful divas. Do you know what uh, I think about you, Ivo? <laughs> These get worse each time. <laughs> no, they don't. They get more affectionate but more damning. <laughs> you, I, I, I've never had the, like, the lid pulled <laughs> off my personality in real time to quite such an extent. <laughs> But what do you think? I think I really like you and I really want you to be kinder to yourself because you're a really lovely, kind, warm, generous-hearted bloke. I, I mean, I do think some of those things are true uh, a lot of the time. But that's speculation, isn't it? From a, from a you know, a, a, at best a new friend. <laughs> A new and potentially very dear friend with whom I will probably text quite a lot about some of this. Uh, but you feel that need to deflect compliments. I understand that. I think that's a British thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And again... It's a bit Hugh Grant, so I've won this bloody old Oscar. <laughs> bloody silly old Oscar thing. I don't know yeah, what to do I with it. I find that British thing at the Oscars very tedious, actually. <laughs> but what, what am I doing here? I'd like to think that if I find one an Oscar, which I think we could, that can stay in the pretty hypothetical realm, um, can't act. Goodness knows there are opportunities at school. We had three theatres. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd have the, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd have the skills to give an Oscar acceptance speech which showed that I felt I deserved it. Um, but, you know, what's that based in, given that I can't even accept you telling me on Barnes Common that... I like that you. you. That you like me. <laughs> no, you don't. You've just been swept up in my pathetic fog of just rubbish. It's, it's, it's sufficiently distant from your reality. If you had to live with this... I, I do envy... There's a lot, I mean, even in the comedy world... There's a lot, particularly obviously prominent in the world of social media, there is a lot of uh, self-bigging up yeah. and about, you know, faking it till you make it and all this other stuff, which is broadly pretty healthy. There's still just something about my what, conditioning and it feels it's all a bit like, oh, it's a bit public and a bit vulgar. It's like, <laughs> what do I want to do? I want to sort of hide and just hope everyone else does all the promotional work for me because I do want people to... 
on this road. Like the, this I, way? Yeah, I mean the house is just there, so we Let's could just there. sort of curve. We'll go across there. Come on. Across. I am. Um, well, is it sort of? I put up a clip of me doing stand-up there, and it's a clip I'm really proud of. And um, and I was like, it's sort of desperate to beat the algorithms and get people watching it on social media because I, I do crave that gratification. But it's like, oh, I can't say anything more than I didn't even write. Please like and share. I was like, no, 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 no. People must be allowed to make their own decision on that front. Hello. <laughs> Hello, dog. Oh, little Jack Russell. Hello, little Jack. I love a Jack Russell. But that's interesting, isn't it? That not bigging yourself up. Well, you should because that, that, that can be the, one, the, the, the the not the one positive outcome of this podcast. <laughs> the one positive outcome of this podcast, other than uh, the um, actually very helpful and compassionate character uh, diagnosis um, from from you, is um, that I can say that people should watch a, a short video of me perform doing some crowd work at the Top Secret Comedy Club. You've got really good mates in the industry, haven't you? I do. I'll take that. Yes. You're I, Josh I have good friends and I am a good friend. Are you a good friend? I, I, I'm not reliable, but, uh, but I do uh, come through the goods occasionally. Yeah, but you know what? Liza Minnelli's not reliable. <laughs> okay. Well, I really warm to Fox. It doesn't surprise me that you're godparent to a lovely dog. Oh, well, thank you. Because I think you've got quite a similar nature to Fox. <laughs> You're quite, you are. Sort of. Uh, really gentle and. Uh, really gentle, but then just start barking quite randomly uh, for, for no real particular reason. Bye bye. A lovely embrace for you and Raymond. Bye. Goodbye, Emily. Thank you very much for inviting me on this dog walk. Goodbye, Raymond. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.